Tonight, God's word comes to us from the prophet Malachi. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Tonight, we're going to read from Malachi chapter 3. We're going to begin our reading at verse 6 and then read through verse 12 of this chapter. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 6. What we hear now is God's word. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. We come tonight to the end of our series on the minor prophets. And I trust that you know by now and have come to appreciate as I have once again. They are called minor prophets because of their length, not because of their message. They tend to be the shorter books in the Bible, the minor books in length. Yet the message is just as relevant for us today as it was when they spoke to Israel and to Judah and to the nations. A message pointing them to Christ and about what he would do for them and what he has done for us. We have spent about the last four months or so Uh, looking at this particular section of the Bible, in the Bible uh, years, we have covered about 400 years in this series. The first minor prophet, the prophet Hosea, ministers in about the year 850 or so, and Malachi, the last of the minor prophets, in about the year 450 B.C. 400 years have passed in the Bible times as we've looked at the prophets in this series. We saw that some of the prophets were pre-exilic, 
before the exile. And they came to Judah and they came to Israel to warn them, to warn them of God's coming judgment if they would not be faithful. And yet Israel, Judah, rejected the warnings of God and were taken away into captivity. We saw that these last three minor prophets are all post-exilic, after the exile, when the people are brought back into the land, and God once again renews His promises to them and calls them to be faithful to Him. Malachi is a beautifully structured book and some wonderful rhetorical devices. One of them is that the prophet Malachi, uh, on God's behalf, will put an argument in the mouth of the people. You will say this. And then he gives the answer from God to those questions or those objections. We will see that throughout the book and in our text tonight. There's an argument given on behalf of the people and God's answer to that argument. Malachi is written about 70 years or so since the last two prophets we looked at, written after the temple has been finished. Remember the call in the last two books, it's time to build the temple. Both Haggai and Zechariah talk about building the temple, the place where they could worship God. And that temple has been completed, and they're able to go and worship once again. But the worship that they are offering is an empty worship. It is a merely formal and disengaged worship. There is no devotion of heart as they worship their God. Look back at Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? The answer by offering polluted food upon my altar as part of their worship. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now, entreat the favor of God, that he may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Their worship 
was empty, was hollow. Oh, they were perhaps still doing the form. They were still going through the motions. They were still bringing sacrifices. But it was the weak. It was the lame. God had called them to bring the unblemished, to bring the best. And they were simply trying to to go through the motions. And so in chapter 3 of Malachi, we have this reminder, I, the Lord, do not change. God's requirements to them had not changed, to bring the best to him, that their worship might be devoted, a wholehearted worship, desiring to do what God wanted them to do. From verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statues and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. That theme of return finds itself through the book of Malachi as well. Return to me. Come back and do things my way as I have called you to. Worship as I have told you to. And then then in chapter 3, this section, he gives them a very specific and a very concrete example for how they can do that. And he talks to them about their giving. About the giving that they do as a part of their worship. And as he instructs them, so we too are instructed in how we are to worship God. And the giving we do for God. We looked at this text together, oh it's been about three years ago or so now. So I hope, I hope uh, some of this sounds a bit familiar to you as we look at Malachi, the prophet of God's worship. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? God calls them back. God calls them to do things His way. God calls them to worship as He has told them to. And you say, how shall we return? The answer Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. Will man rob God? You are robbing me. And once again, you will say, how are we robbing you? In your tithes and contributions. Not giving to God what he had called forth from them. Not giving him his due, not giving him the honor he was due, not giving him the respect he was due. And to to highlight that, the prophet uses this particular example of the giving that they were doing as an example of how they were robbing God of his honor, of his due, of the devotion they should give to him by using a very specific, a very concrete example of their divine robbery of what God was due. In their tithes, they were bringing the weak, they were bringing the lame, they were bringing the blind. They were bringing the last and the least rather than the first and the best, as God had called for. They were robbing God. Imagine that, children, to rob God. 
Maybe sometimes you, you see uh, something on the TV about somebody robbing a bank or, or robbing a store, and we say, well, that's a terrible thing to do, to rob a bank or rob a store. Imagine robbing God! God who has given us everything. God who cares about us. God who knows us. God who loves us. And yet they would rob that God of the devotion that he was due. Verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. They wanted the blessing from God. They were back in the land. They wanted to be blessed by God. But God says, you're not blessed. You're cursed because you refused to bring the heartfelt devotion into worship. He tells them, I, the Lord, do not change. I will bless you, but but you are called to be faithful to me in offering me your heart and the best that you have. You have robbed me, and and in robbing me, you've robbed yourself. You've robbed yourself of the blessing, and you are under a curse. That's the charge against God's people, that they would be robbing God. What is the answer to that charge? Then God, through the prophet, brings a challenge to them. After giving them the charge, you're robbing me. Now the challenge, verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The challenge. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Tithe, as you know, kids, is just means one out of ten. One out of ten. I think I've told you before, kids, if I gave you ten dimes, to tithe would be to put one of those dimes, one out of ten, in the offering. You get to keep nine. You get to keep nine. But to put one out of ten in the offering, that, that's what a tithe means. God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says, and thereby put me to the test if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God says, put me to the test. Who is really being tested when he says this? God is a faithful God. God will continue to care for his people. When he says, put me to the test, he's actually challenging them. Will you believe my promises? Will you believe my word? Will you believe my power to care for you? Will your hearts so trust me that you would bring the full tithe into the storehouse? Test me in this. We remind ourselves that everything they had, everything we have, comes from God and belongs to God. That was Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. God owns everything. It all belongs to him. And he is the one 
who, who provides for our needs. He is the one who calls us to be stewards of the gifts that he gives. And so he says, test me and see if I won't take care of you. Do you truly believe that I have the power to do what I have said? They had seen the power of God. They had been brought back to the land. That was one of God's promises, that they would dwell in the land. They had seen a king restored to the throne. That was one of the promises God made to him, a, a king in David's line on the throne. And now the temple is rebuilt, the third promise that God made. They'd seen God act. I am true to my word, God says. Do you believe it? Do you believe I will continue to do what I have promised, that is to provide for you and care for you and bless you when you do what I ask you to do? Test me in this. That same challenge comes to us today. We have seen the power of God. We know what He can do. We have seen His power in our own lives. He is the one who has taken sinners who were dead in transgressions and sins and has enlivened them and brought them to faith and allowed them to live and to serve Him. God's power has been evident in our own lives. And God continues to do that. He continues to call out with the gospel to put your faith in Jesus Christ, to know He has done everything necessary to wipe away all of your sins. He grants you His righteousness. And you are brought into fellowship with God, like we talked about this morning, adopted as sons and daughters. You've seen the power. You've seen what he's done for you spiritually. But it's so easy for us to say, yeah, but what about real life? Sure, God could do that spiritually. Sure, he could provide for my spiritual life. But what about my real needs? Can I trust him there? to provide what is necessary in this life. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Put me to the test. For those of you who currently have the practice of tithing, I hope this text is a huge encouragement for you. I, the Lord, do not change. I will continue to take care of you. I will continue to provide for you. I know your needs. I will meet those needs, he says. For those of you who are not currently in the practice of tithing, I hope this text comes as a challenge to you. Test me in this, says God. Do we really trust him with everything? I find it so interesting that this is the example that God chooses to demonstrate the devotion of their heart, tithing. Because you see, tithing can't be faked. It can't be faked. 
We can fake our singing. We can open the book and sing the words, and our hearts can be far from God. Our prayers can be faked. We can fold our hands and close our eyes, and even our personal devotions, our minds wander all over the place. Listening to sermons and the delivery of sermons can be faked. But tithing, you either do it or you don't. And all you have to do is open your checkbook to find out. This is the example that God uses to speak of the devotion of their hearts. Test me in this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Oh, I, I'm well aware of the objections to tithing. Probably the most common objection. Uh, there's no New Testament command that tells us to tithe. While that may be true, that is not a view of Scripture that we subscribe to. That we somehow make a radical division between what God says in the Old Testament and what He says in the New Testament. And he has to somehow restate Himself in the New Testament. It's all the Word of God. And in fact, when someone tells me that there's no New Testament command, I remind them Jesus himself, although not commanding, commended tithing as a good practice, even in the New Testament. And, and if we look at, at the flow of redemptive history, we see an expansion in the New Testament. This is what I mean. In the Old Testament, God chose one particular people that he would primarily interact with, the people of Israel. In the New Testament, there is an expansion to that. It is no longer just the people of Israel. It is now every tribe and nation and people and tongue under heaven, an expansion in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God gave a sign for those who would belong to his people, the sign of circumcision. And by its very nature, that sign can be given to males only. In the New Testament, the sign of the covenant is now able to be given both to males and to females. There's an expansion in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's call to his people was to bring the tithe into the storehouse. In the flow of redemptive history, in New Testament times, tithing should be the very beginning of our giving. And our desire should be to do much more than that. There's an expansion in the New Covenant. Oh, I know the type of objections that I've heard. Well, do we tithe on, on our net income or on our gross income? You know, I always answer the question, which should God give you? Did he give you your net income? Did he give you your gross income? The government's going to take their part whether you want to or not. Will we rob God of that which is his due? 
And some people say, well, look, I, I'm, I'm just not making that much money right now. It wouldn't make a difference anyway. That's the beauty of proportional giving, the beauty of tithing. It doesn't matter if we make a lot. It doesn't matter if we make a little. We give to God in terms of how he has blessed us. This is the challenge that Malachi brings to the people of God. And with that challenge comes, comes this beautiful picture of the blessing that will follow. They wanted the blessing. He says, test me, says Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. When you do this, God says, I will open up the windows of heaven for the blessing that you were desiring. Now, there's other times in Scripture where that windows of heaven language is used. One of the primary times is in the story of the flood. When the windows of heaven were opened, and the flood came down and covered everything. What the prophet is saying is God does not give his blessing with an eyedropper, but God gives his blessing as a deluge. You will have so much blessing, there will be no more need. I think one of the reasons we may avoid tithing is we're afraid we're gonna miss something. We're going to lose something. We're never going to be able to have any fun again, never go out for dinner again. But we cannot outgive God. He holds title to everything in the universe and gives as he sees fit. The prophet goes on, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruit of your soil and your vine or your field shall not fail to bear says Lord of hosts, we have to learn to see God's blessing and see his provision. And maybe it is not, maybe it is not in uh, checks coming in the mail to our address. When we don't see the blessing, we have to look at what God hasn't done. He hasn't allowed our things to fall away. I'll rebuke the devourer and I'll rebuke the destroyer. He will protect that which we have. And we see that as God's blessing. I was reminded of that just yesterday. Um, how God sustains those things that we have. When we bought our house in Sioux Center, uh, the back steps, we were told by the realtor, these are gonna have to be replaced. You're gonna have to replace these back steps and it's gonna be pretty costly to do that. Well, we put it off and put it off and put it off. When we sold the house eight and a half years later, those steps were still there. Uh, they had not crumbled. I got a call from Mary last night. She's in Sioux Center. She said, I drove by the house. The steps are still there. God sustains these things. We have to see that as his blessing to us. To see, to see that as his provision for us. Yes, the, again, the, the cash might not flow in the mail, but God sustains the things that we have. He rebukes the devourer and takes care of what we need. And what's the result? Verse 12, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. Even the nations will notice. 
Even those outside will notice the blessing, the provision, the care of God, and in noticing that, the intention is they will be enticed. How is that possible? How can things go so well for you? And we tell them about the goodness of our God. A God who is mighty and powerful to care for absolutely all of our spiritual needs, who forgives all of our iniquities in Jesus Christ, and the God who is able to care for our physical needs as well. Even the nations will notice what God has done for us and be enticed to be brought in. Israel wanted the blessing but they had allowed their devotion to God to wane. Their worship was empty, their worship was formal, and Malachi reminds them who God is. I, the Lord, do not change. I still require these things of you. And then challenges them. Do as I have asked. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And in fact, in fact, test me. And see if I won't, won't pour out that blessing that you so desire. When with heartfelt devotion, you do what I ask. God continues to call for our heartfelt devotion. I, the Lord, do not change. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Amen. Lord our God, we know how easy it is for us to be less than wholehearted in our devotion to you. Whether that shows itself in our prayer life in our devotional life, in our giving life. We ask you would forgive us, O oh God. We know that you are the God who does not change. You are the God who still calls forth wholehearted worship and devotion to you, and you are the God who is still able to provide not only all of our spiritual needs, but all of our physical needs. Oh, Lord God, give us a greater trust. Give us a greater devotion to you knowing that you will always be faithful to your word. Hear our prayer, for Jesus' sake, amen.